<laughs> you know what I want to see? I want to see someone selling, um, like, uh, gold necklaces and little toe rings to crows. And their business would be called Accessory to Murder. <laughs> Hello, welcome to The Next 10,000 Hours, which is our new sort of interstitial podcast here at Artistic Whispers Productions. I am J. Daniel Host. <laughs> J. Daniel Host? I'm J. Daniel Host, your <laughs> sawyer for this evening. Bring me some wood and I will saw it, because that's what the name Sawyer means. I basically cut shit up and hope you like it. I am one of your hosts, J. Daniel Sawyer. <laughs> and I'm Kitty Nikian, your other host. <laughs> and between the two of us, you might make it out of here without your brain melting. Let's find out. So, um, as you can probably tell... <laughs> This is a bit of a rough and ready show because we're still working out the format. Um, so it, please bear with us. Uh, and we've got a gang set up here so you can hear the computers in the background and hopefully the echo isn't too bad. And contrary to what you might think, we're not actually drunk. We never are. We don't need alcohol to act drunk. We just came that way from the factory. This is true. It's what happens when you make babies without unionized workers. This is why. This is why a prostitute's union is so important. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, for those of you that don't know, there's this meme that's been knocking around for a while, popularized, but not invented, by Martin Gladwell, that it takes... Like, isn't it Malcolm Gladwell? It is Malcolm Gladwell, and I typed it wrong on the notes sheet by Malcolm Gladwell. I wish his name was Tent. What? If his name was Malcolm Tent, he would be like the perfect epitome of a public intellectual. Anyway. And I'm sitting here thinking, Tent Gladwell? What? Why is that even name. funny? His last name, not his first name. So anyway, he popularized this notion in his book Outliers that it takes 10,000 hours to really get good at something. Um, and like everything Gladwell does, it's drawn a lot of criticism for being overly simplistic and very buzzword markety and all that kind of shit. But whatever problems it has, there is this little kernel of truth at the middle of it. Mastering anything is a lot of work. <laughs> Mastering anything does take a lot of work. I mean, yeah, well, we won't talk about that because it's not that kind of podcast. Mastering most things takes a lot of work. Um, even horses. And the two of us here have been working together for like 18 years on all sorts of shit. But um, the stuff we've stuck with has all centered in one way or another around storytelling. I write, produce audio, do sound design, I've done movie directing, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. I do sound effects, humor, sketch art, layout, uh, visual design, and general silliness. And you're working on a comic, too. Thank you. Secret. This is where we pull back no, the curtain. No, no, hey. it's, 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 it's preview time for the fans, you see. And there'll be lessons from Bond. Ooh, lessons. And that's got your comics in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also do comics. <laughs> Which I hide under a drawer. 
under a drawer, not in a drawer. Under. Uh, that explains why your drawers are always all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Between the two of us, we've got like almost a complete studio, if you ignore the hundreds of people we've worked with over the last couple of decades. And, you know, we should, in the next time, next time we come around, we should like do a spotlight section on someone like Miss K or Stephen H. Wilson or Nathan or someone who we've worked with a lot and just start doing that because they do a whole hell of a lot of shit for us and they write amazing stuff too. What do you think? Sounds beautiful. Yay. So anyway, we were talking, um, trying to figure out how to stretch the first few episodes of Free Will out so I can get done with the production <laughs> and not run out of episodes. Oh, shh. So we were trying to think of ways to add value to our audience experience. <laughs> and it occurred to us that there's a lot of active podcasts out there for newbies in every field, but there aren't a lot of casts about how to develop and what happens once you get enough practice in and whatever you're doing to call yourself an expert, or about how little being an expert really means in any field, because, like, when you get good at something, you you basically have gotten good enough to realize how much you truly suck. There's always somebody bigger and better than you. Yes, and sometimes they carry very large sticks and you have to hide from them in the bushes. Why would you hide from someone carrying a stick? <laughs> I'm sorry. Not that kind of podcast. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Though you do need to talk to Pip and see about writing for Erotica a la carte if she ever intends on resurrecting that one. Because <laughs> you'd be very popular over there. <laughs> um, Since you guys are the best stock um, fans out there, we thought you'd like... <laughs> the a... depths of your sincerity are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you'd like a peek behind the blinds. I mean, curtains. Who has curtains anymore, anyway? I use them, like for photography sometimes yeah i've seen them separating like in front of closets but yeah mostly people use venetian blinds which is a wonderful equal opportunity employment program for those blind venetians i think they heard that <laughs> that was my genuine noggin <laughs> so every episode uh, we'll talk a bit about projects that are in process and Practice a bit of our new material on you that you haven't seen before, probably. Some of it you will definitely not have seen before. Well, you won't have seen it at all unless you're highly synesthetic because this is audio. But <laughs> some of it is completely raw, and some of it will be stuff that has been out, but sort of in secret channels, hiding in the catacombs under Paris and hoping that no one finds it and that kind of shit. Um, what? Did you rewrite Phantom of the Opera? As a sex comedy? No, no, no. I was thinking of opening up a, a little a little uh, hair salon for cats. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we'll talk about some of the some of the unconventional stuff that we're running into that has totally destroyed our romantic notions of what it means to get good at something or be professional artists or any of that kind of stuff. So think of it like brain droppings. It falls out of our head and into your brain. Kind of like the stuff that falls out of the wrong end of the cow. It's toxic and noxious and messy and smells funny. But it can fertilize you in ways that that leave you feeling a little dirty. But, but it might help, you know? You're not saying that your books are shit. 
No, no, I'm saying I'm full of shit. Oh, okay. You've been telling me that for two decades. I don't know why this surprises you. (laughs) It's like Joseph Goebbels, you know, you repeat something long enough, it doesn't matter if it's true. (laughs) Your audience will begin to believe it. In that vein, by the way, I do write great stories. (laughs) (laughs) And you all need to listen to me every time I say that, because it will make a difference to my ability to pay the rent. (laughs) Um, I guess the other thing that we should warn them about if they hadn't figured it out already is we do tend to swear a lot so um, if that bugs you guys you should probably just fuck off now ow don't say that we want them to keep listening so some of you might notice the fact that I also write mysteries in addition to the science fiction that has so far dominated the podcast In fact, if you look just a little ways back in your podcast feed, you'll see that over the summer I serialized a book called And Then She Was Gone. There's 18 chapters, and they're all little e-books, so you can download them and read them on your phone and that sort of thing. And if you are interested, get them soon, because they will be going away. Um, They'll be going away because they are the first book in the Clark Lantham Mystery Series, and book five is coming out, and I released them to sort of spread the word that Lantham is out there, because he's in book five, and the few people that have discovered him love him to death, but since he hasn't had his own podcast, he's a little left out in the cold, which is difficult to do when you're a detective in San Francisco, because it never gets cold here. Except in the summer. Except in the summer, right, when Carl the Fog eats you. Book five is coming out really soon. It's right on the horizon. We're in final proofs for it right now. And I'm dying to give you guys a taste of it because I had so much fun writing this thing. So here's a bit from the second chapter. You know, just because I like you. And, uh, by the way, forgive the weird audio quality. Like everything else, we're recording this in the middle of a heat wave, and there's fans running all over the place. I just could not stand to be in my normal studio, or even in the room we're recording in now, when I recorded this thing, because, oh my god, it's hot, and we don't have air conditioning in this part of the world. And chasing fans is a real... Mostly gets you in trouble with the convention staff. Right. Anyway, um, second chapter of He Ain't Heavy. Enjoy. I didn't know it at the time, but that February, when I took that meteorite heist job, I stepped into a world that it would take me years to get out of again. A world with a lot of buried secrets where I'd keep stumbling over things that would curdle your stomach acid before they settled down and turned really nasty. I didn't get much of a break after wrapping up that case, either. Just barely enough time to cash the check and get rid of a persistent lawsuit problem, in fact, before the first little pebbles of the next avalanche started raining down on my head. Now, before you get any nutty ideas, I'm not an idiot. I couldn't have known what I was in for, not even if I'd been in the peak of health with rays of sunshine bursting out my every orifice. There's no way I could have guessed I'd be using words like coma, cover-up, and children by the end of the case, and that doesn't even get me out of the seas. When everything started, I was still spending my days holed up in my office in a Vicodin fog on account of the bullet holes I was carrying around. And I was resting, too, no matter what Rachel thinks. Swear on a stack. Lantham, she shouted. If you don't get some downtime, I swear to God I'm going to call the planning commission and tell them about your little apartment complex up here. This is the kind of crap I have to put up with ten days after getting shot twice in the chest. 
I was in the bathroom while she said it, doing my damnedest to help the Metamucil win its battle with the forces of evil massing in my colon. Rachel, who comes from the the kick-them-in-the-head-after-they-fall-off-the-sidewalk school of nursing, figured that meant it was the perfect time to harass me. If you're trying to scare the shit out of me, I strained between grunts, it's not working! I'm not kidding, Lantham, I've had it! I've fucking had it up to here! This is the kind of respect I get from my employees. Kinksters call it topping from the bottom, which is what happens when a naked party in the bondage straps with all the welt starts barking orders at the party with the leather leggings and the whip. Not that I'd ever let my mother know I knew anything about that. I stood and pulled my pants up. Feeding the toilet wasn't in the cards. Well, what the hell do you want me to do, Rach? She didn't say anything, which meant she'd either lost interest or she'd be waiting for me when I opened the door, ready to assault me with eyebrows arranged in a startling new fashion to communicate some obscure flavor of disapproval that would probably send me diving for the thesaurus again. I made sure my sweats were tied off, washed my hands, and opened the door. Yep, eyebrow semaphore. I swear she could work marionettes with those things. According to my eyebrowish English dictionary, this frightening new configuration meant Same thing I've wanted you to do for months, moron. No, I said. I gotta admit that even I didn't find it very convincing. In my defense, between the bullet holes in my chest and the opiate-induced constipation in my gut, I was in too much pain to lie convincingly. She wasn't convinced either. Her eyebrows told me so. No! I shouldered past her and stumbled out through the kitchenette into my office. I'm not going to buy a house. I'm not going to go look at a house. I'm not going to build a house out of Legos. Now will you goddamn fuck out? Note to self. In future, avoid plopping theatrically on a chair when in crippling pain. Mmm, because this... She allowed herself to fall backwards over the arm of the couch I'd been using for a bed since Christmas. Is an ideal place to recuperate. So comfy. She turned over, letting the chasm between the armrest and the sitting surface at the south end swallow her arm. You've even got a pocket to stow the spare arm that's always in the way. She maneuvered her hips to make it clear that they'd found the one remaining unbroken wooden crosspiece, and it was riding hard against her pelvis. Yes, sirree. Comfy, comfy, comfy. Nobody in their right mind would ever want to move out of a place like this, or find a comfortable bed, or call certain FBI agents back and take them up on their dinner date invitations. I swiveled my back to her, kicked my feet up onto the windowsill behind my desk, and folded my hands across my stomach so as to avoid the tender spots on my chest. Wake me up if you come anywhere near a point. God damn it, Lantham! I gotta admit, I do love winding her up. There's something adorable about her when she gets this self-righteous and pedantic. Am I supposed to run this agency by myself? We're fine. That check from Lloyd's gives us operating capital for six months, and that's on top of what we've already got. That's not what I mean! You said the agency. Yeah, the agency. The agency is you, me, and our little green friends in the bank. She sighed the sigh of the truly hopeless. It just stopped being fun for her, so I laid off. Make with the goods, Oldman. What's really twisting your nipples? You know. Yeah, I knew. And I'd told her before to butt out of my personal life. But personal life didn't seem to be a concept that Rachel had been socialized to. Maybe that was why she got along so well with Naya. She worried about me like some people worry about their dogs or their parents. Given my lack of fleas, I hope I qualify for the latter, but you never know. 
On the other side of the glass, a gorgeous Bay Area winter day was brewing. Gray-black burbling cumulus clouds surrounded by a whole bunch of bright blue. The kind of sky that says, eh, it's too much work to rain today, so I'll just sit here and dance for you. Thing is, Rach, I muttered, I like it this way. Which wasn't exactly true. It's more that I had about had my fill of change for the decade, and most of it happened in the last six months. I got into this business to change other people's lives so they'd leave mine alone. Great plans and mice, right? No, you don't. I didn't have to turn around to know she was laying on her back with her fingers clasped across her chest, looking up at the 19th century plaster moldings on the ceiling. She had that tone in her voice she gets when she's cloud-watching with Naya, the two of them puzzling over eternal verities. Eh, I let it drop. Looking out at the skyline, it's easy to forget how much it hurts to breathe. I was determined not to take any Vicodin today, on the grounds that I prefer the honest pain of a bullet wound to the unholy side effects of painkillers. At least, I do now that I've been out of the hospital for a week and a half, and I can laugh and cough without wanting to stab myself in the eye to end it all. When I was fifteen, my mother heaped on me the worst curse any child can get from their parent. I hope your children are just as bullheaded as you. Well, I don't have any kids, but I got recalcitrants heaped around me like last week's vegetables on a pig farm. Rachel and I sat that way, saying nothing, for an hour before a phone call interrupted us. I swear that woman could outstubborn a cactus, even if you don't count her prickles. Lantham, it's for you, came her voice from the other room. Line two. Who is it? I swiveled back to my desk with my game face pasted on like badly installed wallpaper. Some chick named Trisha Baydecker. So that's He Ain't Heavy. Watch for it in October and, oh boy, lots of stuff coming in October. I huh? like there's... Um, in fact, and then, the, then there's the, um, yeah. yeah. Crud Rat. Crud Rat is coming in October. You can check, out, check it out at crudrat.com. Actually, the campaign for Crud Rat is coming in October. And if it's successful, Crudrat itself is coming in uh, January and February. So uh, anyway, um, here's the trailer for Crudrat so you can find out a little bit about it. And then maybe next time we'll be able to get some of our co-conspirators on and talk a little bit more about it. Because this is fucking cool and you guys are going to love it. Deep in space, in the bowels of the wheel, they run. Meet Mara. Crudrat, born to slavery, trained to run, to jump, to clean the great machines that drive the world. And when puberty strikes, expelled, exiled, set adrift to starve and die. From the mind of Gail Carriger, the author of Soulless and the Finishing School series, comes the story of one girl without a home and one monster chained and ransomed and their relentless struggle to win their freedom. For the first time anywhere, Gail Carriger's Crud Rat. A full cast production directed by J. Daniel Sawyer, the four-time Parsec-nominated producer of Down From Ten and The Antithesis Progression, with original music by award-nominated composer Danny Shade. Gail Carriger's Crud Rat. Kickstarting October 1st. Get details at www.crudrat.com. Stop trying to eat my thumb.
No. <laughs> you are no help at all. You... <laughs> ah, there's a microphone! Ah! Someone asked me the other day, after seeing all my tweets about Bart, what were the most interesting things I've ever seen? Bart is a commuter train in the Bay Area. Bay Area Rapid Transit. So, here are the most interesting things I've ever seen on BART. There was this sandwich. A 9-inch Italian submarine sandwich. It was out of its wrapper. Not a single bite had been taken out of it. It was a complete sandwich, stuffed about 6 inches thick, sitting on a BART seat, taking up an entire bench. Two seats. No one knew why it was there. No one wanted to pick it up. No one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to eat it. No one wanted to move it and sit next to it. And this was a crowded train. People would ask, is that your sandwich? No one wanted to take that responsibility. No, we sat across from it and stared at it. We stood around the sandwich and looked at it. Not doing anything about the sandwich. Just looking at the sandwich. Until a Bart employee, rather annoyed, harried-looking Bart employee, came in, swift as the wind, grabbed the sandwich, and walked it out. And as the sandwich was guarded away, we all sat and looked at this empty space on the bench for about two more stops. <laughs> Is it safe to sit down? What if there was some mayo that spilled out of it? <laughs> we don't want to sit in the mayo. You said this thing was nine inches long and four inches thick. Yep. Are you sure it's a sandwich you're describing? <laughs> it was actually made out of bread and meat. <laughs> the bread's the surprising part. <laughs> oh, and another thing. Cell phone arguers. I know this is a problem on every form of public transportation. They're always there. They're the people that have cell phone conversations that are too loud and too personal. And then there's the people that are shouting obscenities at their boyfriends, their best friend, or their child. Five minute long conversations that you can hear on the other end of the train, in another car, even when you have your headphones on. And it's almost always the women that are the cell phone shouters. The ones that are yelling at their boyfriends, accusing them of all manner of indecency and infidelity. And you kind of wonder why they don't just leave rather than just shout for 10 minutes. There must be a lot of, like, emotion involved with this. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have those on my planet. <laughs> Relationships just make sense. Right? That is not logical, Captain. <laughs> Men who have the TMI phone conversation on public transit are almost always begging, pleading, or drunk. I don't know why they're drunk at 5 o'clock. It's not even happy hour. But there are. Drunk and shouting. I mean, if I really wanted to know where you people shove your cell phones at the end of the day, I'd watch a porno of it. I'm sure it exists. It's probably made in Japan. I mean, I love my mother's people. The best food, the best cartoons, and the most ridiculous porn. Gotta love them. The best part of public transit, though, the best thing about BART, is the conversations inspired by knitting in public. I've been knitting for about five years, and during that entire time, I've had a BART commute. Which is nice, because you can just sit there and knit for an hour. Helps get a lot of projects done. Whenever I knit, I get great conversations. Um, 
other knitters will always ask, what are you knitting? I always get great conversations knitting on BART. Knitters are the best because they ask you what you're making, they ask you about the fiber, they ask you where you found the pattern. Conversations can go through at like four stops if you're knitting. Women my age and a little older are kind of funny. If they're not knitters, they usually say something like, I wish I could do that. Or, wow, it's so interesting that a young woman is doing this. Like, I'm still young? Awesome! Older men always get wistful and start reminiscing about a wife or a mom or a grandmother that, that has passed away or gotten arthritis or whatever and no longer knits. It's, they're really sweet and kind of cute. The best knitting conversation I've ever had was the ex-con in a full business suit coming back home from work. He had been in prison for something. He never said what, but I, I got the impression it was something awful and violent. He learned to knit when he was in prison as a form of anger management and stress relief. He credits knitting with keeping him on the straight and narrow after he got out and for why he's a decent member of society and, and a business person. And, and I found that fascinating. And I gotta admit, knitting is relaxing. <laughs> it helps me not to kill my coworkers. But the worst thing about Bart is also the knitting. I don't know what it is about Bart. It's got gnomes or something. Gnomes that run around and eat the knitting. Anything else I've ever dropped? My cell phone. My wallet. A laptop case. My hat. My glasses. Someone will stop and say, Excuse me, miss. You dropped your hat. You don't want to lose that. Great! People are so polite. People are wonderful. My scarf? Nobody notices I dropped that. My gloves? I don't know how many pairs of hand-knit gloves that I've lost. I lost a sock before I finished the other sock. Bart eats my knitting. I assume that there are gnomes living on Bart. They're either constipated and need fiber, or they live in the air conditioning ducts and are very, very cold. It's the only explanation. That and utter carelessness, but... Always the knitting! I never lose anything else! This has been Kitty's Corner. If you don't feel cornered by a kitty yet, you obviously don't have a laser beam pointed at you. So, I guess that's about it for this show. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. <laughs> we are building a questions list for new topics to launch into, so if you've got something that could prompt a conversation or a rant or other humorous rambling from Kitty, you can send it to feedback at jdsawyer.net or you can call the voice line at 612-567-7595. We are going to be doing more of these, um, so you know the more jumping off points we've got, the easier it's going to be for us. So if you would sort of come on board as our writers, we can offload our work onto you, and that would be rockin'. Um, <laughs> I can't, I'm feeling excessively honest today. <laughs> and be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Free Will, the science fiction spy thriller that's going to keep you guessing and gasping for a good long run, because oh boy, have we been producing episodes. Seriously, he's up all night editing the audio. I, I've been hearing this for the last two weeks. <laughs> and it's good stuff. So until next time, this is Dan Sawyer. And Kitty Nikian. Saying, 
When life gives you lemons, throw them at your enemies. The bright colors might distract them. I think our tagline needs work. We'll try another one next time. <laughs> See you later. The Next 10,000 Hours is a production of Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California, and features Por Una Cabeza, a work in the public domain arranged and performed by Danny Shade. This podcast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the performers.